So my relationship with Four Oaks here in Tallahassee started probably about five years ago when you guys began to pour into a minister at Florida State University with Navigators, Luke Skeen. He was a member here and he served here and you guys believed in him and resourced him to go to Southern Seminary for theological training for pastoral ministry. Well, I, I met Luke as an intern and he was a very gifted intern, quickly became a deacon within our church and then after a couple years became a pastor and Luke serves with me week in and week out. He's more or less kind of my right-hand man at our primary campus. We have four campuses. And so I thank God for your faithfulness. And after Luke came with us, he's like, hey, I, there's this great church I come from, and they want you to lead a men's retreat. And I came to the men's retreat and met a lot of the pastors here at this church, guys like Josh and Lance and Rob and Scott and, uh, of course, Paul. And it put flesh on what a great church you guys really are. And, of course, my relationship with Dave and seeing that partnership come to fruition and just being here right now, it's just a sweet testimony to the grace of God. Um, it's also a sweet testimony to the fact that I'm standing after biking with one of your pastors, Pete Butler, because he wore me out. And so uh, I thank God for you guys and pray for God's blessing and that the, the partnership and friendship we have will continue into the future. Well, I know you're in the book of Acts and Acts, kind of the somatic verse of Acts is Acts 1-8, right? You'll be my witnesses. And that's what I want to talk about um, this morning. What does it mean to be who we are? And this call, really, we, I want to kind of rewind a bit to the book of Isaiah. And so let's just begin there. There we read, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. This is who you are. And my servant whom I've chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I am not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Isaiah 44, do not tremble. Don't be afraid. Didn't I proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there's no other rock. I know not one. And then Acts 1.8, Jesus speaks to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, what is a witness? A witness is someone who has experienced something or someone and testifies to that experience. Witnessing, um, first and foremost, isn't about technique. It's about an experience rooted in a living relationship with the one true living God. And so let me just ask you some questions. I essentially want to ask you, how are you as a witness? Because it's not just something we do. It's who, it's who we are by the grace of God. God's gospel makes us witnesses. And our witnessing, our testifying to who God is, is all about his gospel. But here's some questions just to kind of get our hearts in check this morning. Do, do I have regular conversations with people outside the faith? Have I shared a meal with someone outside the faith in the last month? Have I served a friend who is outside the faith in the last month? Have I invited a friend who is outside the faith to church or my small group? Have I shared the gospel in the last month? And do I need to repent? Because if you're a Christian, you're probably sitting there going, oh, I know I should. 
I know I ought. I need to be witnessing more, right? I mean, we got that, those inner oughts and shoulds, that inner Pharisee within that's constantly kind of berating us. This is what I want to encourage you to do with that inner Pharisee this morning. Grab him by the throat and choke him to death. Amen? Because God doesn't want us to live out of oughts and shoulds. He doesn't want us to live out of a compulsive cycle of legalism. He wants us to live out of relationship with him. And ultimately, the call to witness is a call to relationship with God. Now, you hear a lot of Christians say, well, we need to have a heart for the lost. We need to evangelize. Great, great. But, but ultimately, people do what people see. And how are you modeling the mission? I mean, people do what people see. Nowhere is this more clear than with kids. I mean, kids, it's very clear. Like my kids, I have four kids, 12, 9, 7, and 5. And they're just like mini-me's at times for good and for evil, right? And uh, one time my wife and I were walking around, walking through the neighborhood with our kids. I live in the inner city of Louisville. And we met this lady, picked it up, conversation. And, you know, we ended the conversation with her, like telling her where we lived and stuff. And we were walking away and Stella, she was probably about seven then. She, she says to one of our neighbors that we just met, you should come over for dinner. And I thought, that is brilliant. My wife planted that question uh, with my daughter. And, and as we we're walking around, I'm like, did you tell Stella to do that? She's like, no. And then I just realized, like, she's just mimicking my wife, who's always telling neighbors and friends and people we meet, you should come over for dinner. Uh, another example is my son. Um, last year, we had a neighbor uh, who took years to kind of establish a relationship with. She grew up homeless. She was on drugs after rehab and government assistance. She rents a house just a few houses down from us. Her name's Kathy. And Kathy was sharing with us that she was turning 50 uh, a week after uh, my birthday in November. Anyway, and, and we said, oh my goodness, you must be throwing a huge party. And she says, I, I've never had a party. You know, she, wasn't, she grew up as an orphan. And it just, it broke my heart. And, and she, she leaves our house and my son goes, you know what we should do? We should throw Kathy a party. Now, was it because my son went through evangelism explosion and learned all the techniques for evangelism? No. People do what people see. And so the call to evangelize is a call to experience God and to let the gospel shape and influence who we are and how we do what we do as a church. Now, too often, the reason we fail to live out our identity as witnesses within the church is because we're more shaped and influenced by um, the spirit of consumerism and a consumer culture than we are the spirit of God who's calling us to the presence of God in our lives. And so here's a way to picture whether or not you're a consumer Christian or a, witness Christ, a witnessing Christian. A consumer Christian is outwardly critical. It's all about pleasing you and your preferences are central. You know, the, the church is a show, the preacher's a performer, uh, the pastors are religious vendors of religious goods to religious consumers, and it's all about, you know, are you being served? It's about receiving. It's sitting back and waiting to be ministered to. It's very individualized, and it often results in church shopping. Whereas a witness is inwardly critical. It's marked by humility and wanting the scriptures to search and challenge and shape you. The posture of giving, it's community-focused, and it results in a commitment to the local church. Now, I believe if you're a Christian, if the Spirit of God resides within you, this is registering with your heart. You know who you are. You know what God has done, and you simply need to be reminded of these truths. And that's my hope and prayer, that we'd be reminded of what it means to be witnesses. And so let's stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to pivot from the book of Acts and look at Mark chapter 6, verses 6 through 13 this morning. I and mean, then we're going to look at the dynamics of our identity as witnesses. 
Then Jesus, then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the 12 to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent, and they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Let us pray. Father, we, we thank you for your gentle reminders. Jesus, we thank you for your work in our stead where we can come boldly before your word. Holy Spirit, would you invade this gathering? Because it's not enough just for us to be reminded or, or hear your word. It, we need to be convicted and we pray for a, a demonstration of your power as your word is preached and that you'd have your way with us. We love you because you first loved us. It's in Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So Mark chapter six, let's mind this for, for truths for our mission. I wanna look at seven um, dimensions or aspects of what it means to be witnesses. The first would simply be movement. It would just be movement. There's an outward movement in the mission of God. Uh, many religious uh, movements require a pilgrimage or a quest. You travel to a guru or a center for religious worship. It's essentially come and see, uh, and, you, and you go, and there's a lot of sitting around, maybe a uh, lotus position, what have you, but that's not how Jesus rolls. I mean, we see that Jesus' mission is marked by this holy must, this, this movement. I, I must go to the lost sheep of Israel. I, I must go to Jerusalem. And here in Mark 6, we see Jesus went and Jesus sent. Verse 6, Jesus went around teaching from village to village. And then in verse 7, Jesus began to send them out. Mission is marked by movement, and Jesus models that movement. He, he models that movement by being sent from God and, and sending out his disciples. And he models that movement by simply going from village to village. We, we see Jesus embodying the very, the nature of God's missionary impulse by drawing near to outsiders in Mark chapter two, just a few chapters earlier. He's hanging out with, with sinners and tax collectors. This is the idea and the language being used. It's notorious sinners, people that were, were it was foreign, the idea of the scriptures and the, the local church and pastoral ministry, if you will, that was completely foreign to them. He was drawing near to them. Jesus models movement by drawing near to people and not simply giving them information, but seeking to capture their imagination by telling stories and parables. Jesus models movement and he calls us to that same missionary posture. You guys have like small groups, right? Yeah, you meet in small groups, gather large on Sunday and then meet, meet in small groups. We've got the same thing. And sometimes our pastors will visit groups to like encourage or, uh, you know, diagnose, observe, or in this case, to rebuke. Um, so a pastor visited a community group that was growing, it was exploding. And, and when the pastor visited, um, people started uh, telling the pastor, you, you, you need to do more evangelistically. You guys need to do more festivals, more programming. We need more organization for evangelism in our church. And thankfully, this pastor was, was grounded, and so he didn't internalize those critiques, right? It wasn't me, by the way. And, and he, he turned to the community group leader, uh, and he said, hey, do you know your neighbor's name? And the community group leader was like, well, no. He's like, how about, how about your neighbor across the street? 
What's their name? Nada. And, and what the pastor wisely revealed is oftentimes we're eager for an abstract program, you know, this, this project, when we lack affection for concrete people. And, and I would argue that we're, we're very lost in regards to the mission of God because God, God loves particular people, like your neighbors, like your coworkers, like your friends, like your acquaintances, and everyone and anyone that God has set before you. He's calling you to draw near by the grace of God. Jesus went to people because of God's mission, and he sends us out to do the same. John Piper puts it well when he says, go, send, or disobey. Movement is rooted in the very nature of the gospel. Many people say, well, I, I get the whole gospel, that whole theology thing. I just struggle with sharing my faith and you know, mission. And I would argue that mission problems, sharing our faith problems are always rooted and gospel problems. What is it about the nature of the gospel that we're failing, failing to understand or experience that's keeping us from sharing our faith with others? Witnessing is marked by movement. It's also marked by community. Look at verse seven. Calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out. So Jesus doesn't call just like one uh, rock star or one like superstar pastor or missionary to go out and reach the lost. He calls a people. He calls 12 disciples to him, 12 ordinary men, and he sends them out two by two. And he does this because we were created for community. We were created for relationship with one another. He does this because there's something about our community. There's something about the way we relate to one another that communicates who Jesus is, what he's done, and all that he promises to do. I mean, Paul makes it very clear that the way a, a husband and wife love one another is a picture of the mystery of God's love for his church. So the way we love one another in community, Jesus says, by, by your love for one another, they will know that you're my disciples. By your love for one another, they'll know it's legit. They'll know it's the real deal. It'll, it'll be an argument. It'll give plausibility to the reality and beauty of who, who Christ is. A few years ago, there's a, name, a guy named Bob who lives just a couple blocks from um, an inner city campus that we have. And uh, Bob was raised in the neighborhood. He's a, a Germantown native and he's really connected, but he never grew up in the church or anything. In fact, he, he wanted nothing to do with organized religion. Well, Bob's son, Johnny, was coming back from the liquor store one night and our church is right on the train tracks and he was split in two by a train. Um, some of our deacons saw, you know, police lights and flashing lights and drew near to, to Bob's home. There was about 25 people gathered and uh, they just started listening and they felt prompted to actually preach the gospel. Um, this crowd of people heard the gospel and invited the pastors to conduct the memorial service for Johnny. Well, Bob started coming to sojourn, right? And he was really angry. Why did God take my son, Johnny? He didn't understand for a long time. He was angry. There would be tears after every service. But after some time, Bob surrendered his life to Christ. And then he even before he was a Christian, he got involved with Connect Ministry, handing out bulletins. And, and then he started kind of going door to door and inviting his neighbors to gather with us. And now every week, Bob will bring just all kinds of people. Every time the doors are open, Bob is at our gathering. The joy really marks the life of Bob now. Now, here's the question. Who's responsible for that? Was it, was it the group that probably um, walked prayer walked in front of Bob's house several times over the years? 
Is it that group? Is it, is it the people whose hearts were, were broken with compassion and leveraged their resources so people could be cared for and a funeral could be paid, paid for? Was it when he came to the service? That's when, he, that's when it really happened, when he, when he heard me preach. Was it the musicians you know, who served him and loved him and helped him respond to God in song? You know, was it the people that financially sacrificed so we could make room and move into a facility that was around the corner from Bob? The answer is all those people. God uses the whole body of Christ. We, we each have a part to play in the mission of God. And so the question we should be asking ourselves is, what's my part? How can I play a part in testifying to what God is doing, what he's done, and all that he promises to do in our lives? Mission is marked by community. And mission is marked by, by a sense of authority. Jesus gave them authority over impure spirits. Luke 9 amplifies this. He gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Jesus gives us authority and power to crush demons and cure diseases. I mean, simply in a position of authority. It's very almost matter of fact. Go, I'm, I'm sending you. In Matthew 28, we read, he came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus has been given authority in heaven over all angels and demons and principalities and on earth over all presidents and prime ministers and mayors and councilmen and uh, you know, governors. He, he's in authority, your boss, your teacher, he's in, he's in authority over all. And we are Christ's ambassadors. The church is an embassy, right? We are on foreign soil. We're citizens of a far better country, a heavenly country. And every day we're one step closer to that place, to that heavenly place. But until we step into glory, we're called. This is our opportunity to testify to that glory that we've experienced, to testify to what God has done. And we have authority. I mean, you know when someone says, you know, tell them I sent you. You go to a restaurant and you're like, hey, so-and-so sent me. And you get like great service. Or in business, you need to get your foot in the door. You know, and someone, it's not what you know, it's what? Okay, it's who you know. Who do you know? You know Christ. He's no longer walking the dusty roads of Palestine. He's the ascended, the exalted Christ who's at the right hand of the Father. And he's not whispering accusations regarding you into the ears of the Father, but love. He rejoices over you. You're his, you're his chosen ones. And he's saying, live like royalty. And one day you'll fully experience that royalty. But now, until then, we're called to testify. I started seeing uh, this row of women that would gather on Sundays. And they just didn't look like women that would typically gather with the church. You know? and, and it grew. It was like four women, seven women. And all of a sudden, it's like a dozen. Like, they take up a row. And then I start hearing these testimonies because when people are baptized, they share their testimony. It was women who were coming out of the sex industry, ex-strippers, dramatic, dramatic testimonies. And so we typically, we follow the, the baptism trail to find the source. And the source was, was Rochelle and Josh Starr. Um, and, and Rochelle Starr was was in her car, she was driving through um, downtown Louisville, and she said she felt this impression from the Lord. It was pretty clear. It was, Rochelle, I want you to go to the strip clubs and share your faith. And she said it was very clear. Like, I knew that the Lord was saying, go to strip clubs, essentially. So what did she do? She does what we typically do when we hear from the Lord. She's like, I guess I need to study and read my Bible and pray more. So she did for a year. A year. And then the Lord made it clear. No, I didn't tell you to study and pray regarding sharing your faith at strip clubs. I told you to go. 
And so she went. She went. She, she said, I felt absolutely inadequate and full of fear, but she took another sister with her. And they just started conversations with women in the strip club. And they found out, hey, we can provide meals for them before they dance. And then we can do their hair and makeup. And they need people to care for their children. And then they started seeing conversions. And then the women needed another line of work. They needed a, a place to stay. And so they, they needed in-between houses, if you will. And then she started doing jobs training. And, and now, like across the street, someone just bought a building and they're totally outfitting it with a bakery. And they're going to start a bakery for ex-strippers. You know, women coming out of the sex industry so they can put their hands to work to the glory of God. Critical mass is one person. One person hearing from God. Now, not, not one person going and kind of you know, downloading all the theology you can and kind of getting all the training. It's responding to God. Where God guides, he always provides. He always provides. I mean, if you, you want to provide for your children, you want them to have the best education possible, you want them to be set up. He's given us not just an education, he's given us his presence, the Holy Spirit who promises to lead and to guide us into all truth. I mean, we have the counselor. We have God, Emmanuel. God is with us. So go, go. And he's, only, he's not going to give us like all that we need today. We, we would be overwhelmed by his provision. Oh, he's just gonna give just enough to take that next step. What's that next step look like for you? Authority, simplicity. Verse eight, these were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. Mission is marked by simplicity in that we trust God's provision. Take nothing for the journey except the bare essentials, essentially. It's marked by simplicity. Whenever you enter a house, just stay there until you leave that town. They were not to profit in any way. Uh, one of the reasons I think um, many of us are disturbed when we talk about witnessing or sharing our faith is because the church can be really weird. You know? I mean, like, freaky weird, like, awkward weird. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, there's a lot of weird witnessing in the name of Jesus in the local church. Like, here, here's one example. The hello Jesus, right? I'm like, hello heresy, maybe. Or, or how about this? The Messiah mints, save your breath. And this is my favorite that I can show on Sunday. It's like, what's the, is the idea like I'll be walking my dog and someone will say, I love evangelism. What's that about? And I'll just share my woof woof acronym with them. You know, like what? It's, it can be weird, you know, and it's not that, like, there's not a place for, like, take that off, please. Uh, thank you. <laughs> it fades away. It, it's, there's not a place for simple presentations. It doesn't mean there's not a place for uh, leveraging all the creative and financial resources we can, but we're not dependent upon our creativity or our finances or, you know, our, our education, okay? There's a simplicity to proclaiming the message of Christ. You know, we're not we're not Target. We're not Starbucks. We're, we're the church. You know, think about it. When you came to know Christ, you know, was it because you came into the gathering and the preacher, it was just so compelling and he, and he shared some humor and I, I laughed and I know, well, there must be a God and I surrendered my life to Jesus. You know, was it because you came and it was like, I just heard that guitar rift and that drum solo and I was like, I surrender all. No, what is it? What is it? 
I can't explain it. I don't know. I just know that I didn't believe, but now I do. I, I didn't believe, but now I do. You know, a, a great testimony doesn't exalt some technique or some personality or even a specific place. A great testimony exalts a great Savior. And that's something every single one of us have. Because every testimony is a demonstration of the power of God where he takes us from death and brings us in to life. How can we embrace the whole gospel as the whole church for the whole world? I want to kind of set before you what I mean by whole world. Because when we think of witnessing, many of you right now, you're like, I need to add that to my schedule. You know, you, that you haven't killed that legalist. And it's like, you should do this. And it's like, put this on your schedule. But I just want you to not think about doing more things. I want you to think about what you do differently. So let's start off by, by looking at congregation. You know, it would be a dimension of our world. Right here is an opportunity. Now just invite someone. Invite someone to, to gather with us on Sunday. And typically, you know, sometimes people respond, sometimes well, we don't know. But we're called to be faithful and to make room for strangers and outside, outsiders. I also want to encourage you to make room in your schedule, just like here. So it might mean like, hey, once a month, I'm going to be like, hey, you want to go out to lunch? I'd like to get to know you. Got any questions? There's always people that are gathering, and sometimes we're just not very hospitable, and then we'll be drawn near and make room for people who are exploring Christianity. There's always people in this gathering, in this place, who are exploring and asking questions. Second, think about your location, where you live, your neighborhood, your school, just, I mean, like, where you dwell, your neighbors. Now get to know your neighbors. You know, throw, throw good parties, you know? Throw good parties for your neighbors. Be eager to serve your neighbors. You know what I mean? Some of you are like, well, I let my neighbor borrow my, my mower and he broke it. They broke it. I'm like, yeah, suffer for Jesus. You know, I mean, some of you are like, some of you are like, well, I'll, I believe in suffering in Southeast Asia, but like my lawnmower is a totally different thing. It's like, no, it's, it's all suffering. It's just, it's just a spectrum. How about, how about vocation? How about where you work, where you go to school? Does your work matter to God? Look, if 40, 50, 60 hours a week don't matter to God, frankly, your life doesn't matter to God. But God cares about your work. He cares about the way you work. No? The, the way you work, the, the way you steward the power and resources and education you've been given. He cares about that. You know? And how, how can you have a vision for your workplace? You know, many of you, you're like, yeah, I'm all about the glory of God. It's the glory of God. And I'm like, well, talk to me about the glory of God at your work. You know, Habakkuk speaks of this picture of the knowledge of the glory of God filling the whole earth. I think that what that looks like for us is, and I got a picture of what, what it looks like for the glory of God to fill uh, Starbucks and to affect the other baristas. You know, it, let's just start simple. You know what I mean? Like, I have a vision of the glory of God affecting my children and my spouse. And it's okay if you don't. So Lord, I, I want a vision. I don't want just a confessional theology. I want, a, I, want a theolo- I want a vision of what you're doing in the here and now and what you promise to do. How about, how about restoration? How about where there's brokenness? Yeah, how about drawing near to those in need? And again, not just, sometimes we think the poor, poor, and I think there's a, a place for that, but what about just the emotionally poor, the needy, you know? The, the, the needy, people that are just in need, maybe people that are dealing with anxiety or panic attacks or depression or... You know, there's all kinds of need. Just within our church and our neighborhoods, how about drawing near to those people and just making room? It's just tiring. It's exhausting. When will it end? It's like, man, that's the mission of God. And he, he promises us. We, we think he's a liar. He says it's more blessed to give than to receive. You know, you were created to give. You were created to draw near. 
How about recreation? How about your play? Do you think your rest matters to your witness? Does the way we rest and play and put down work give a, give a picture of what God has done and is doing? Absolutely. Man, if God, if God would bring about a renewal of the way we work and rest within this church, it would be a powerful witness. If people watched you work with ambition at work, you know, with, with wisdom, and then watched you put your work down at night, you know, they come into your home, they're gonna be like, how, how are you so present to your spouse? How are you so present to your children? I mean, how is it you're able to like work so hard, but, but you're really interested in our lives? That's just a powerful witness. How is it that you're able to put down technology? I mean, not that any of you struggle with that. Our everyday world. And, and God's, gonna, God's gonna bring people before us that are receptive. It's the, the fifth thing to consider. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. Verse 11, and, in, if, anyone, and if any place, excuse me, will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. I mean, Jesus makes it clear. Some will welcome you and some will not welcome you or even listen to you. And, and some of us like get so angry. You know, it's like this weird culture wars thing we do. We're like, oh, people just aren't listening anymore. It's like, just like you, just like me, apart from the grace of God. Do you remember how dark it is? Do you remember being in your ignorance? People don't know. They're dead in their sins. They're in darkness. And, and we can't bring light, but we're responsible to share that light. We can't convict. We can't convince. We can't bring new life. That's what God brings. But we trust. We entrust those results to him. And many of you, you're sitting here like, I've done that. It doesn't work. <laughs> He's calling us to be faithful for the long haul. I invited my neighbor once. They never came. I invite them every Christmas. I lived in my neighborhood for seven years before Kathy opened up her life, the lady who we threw the party. Seven years. And once she opened her life, it was a doorway into the entire neighborhood and other neighborhoods. She was just connected with everybody. That party we talked about, half, well, no, excuse me, all the men were without jobs. One had just gotten out of prison. Just gotten out of prison. And so my kids are running around doing their thing. And one of the, the big guys, he turned to me and he said, why don't you beat your kids? And at first I was slightly offended, but then I realized what he was saying is he was really curious. How is it you're so gentle with your kids? And then as I began to probe, it was, I get so angry with my kids. And we talked some more, and I, I just left him alone with some questions. He comes back to me and he goes, hey, can I come back here and study the Bible with you? That's receptive. That's a work of the grace of God. I didn't think that was gonna happen. Most of the time when people come to know Christ, it, comes, it happens despite my belief, in the midst of my unbelief. Praise be to God. God's calling us to be faithful. God's calling us to be faithful to the message. Here's the message, verse 11. They went out and preached that people should repent. People, people need to hear the message. They need to hear you were created for life with God. You've rebelled against God and now God's calling you home. Bring my sons and daughters whom I've created for my glory. Bring them home. And he's calling us to be ambassadors, to represent, to call people to life. Yes, we call them to repent. Yes, we, we warn them of the dangers, but we need to call them to experience life with God. And, and this is a message that should be marked by a sense of urgency. You know, we... We try to make the gospel comfortable. You know, it's not a very comfortable message. It's, it's, it's a message of life, but it's also a declaration of war, right? I mean, you, you have rebelled against God. You are under the judgment of God. There's a way of escape, though. 
the Father has a provision in his Son. Respond. Don't try to make the gospel cool. It's, it's not a very cool message. I mean, this is coming from someone who tried for many years. It just doesn't work. Penn, you know Penn from Penn and Teller? You know this guy? He's like a magician, illusionist, pretty crass, crude guy. Well, he was witness to, and he posted a YouTube video um, with his commentary regarding evangelism. And this is what he says. He's an atheist. I, I've always said, you know, that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, well, it's not worth really telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them about that? I mean, if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it and that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this, this is more important than that. Yeah, it's way more important. There's an urgency. But there should be a, there should be a peacefulness because ultimately there's power. That's the final thing I want you to hear. There's power. God promises his presence and his power. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people and healed them. Whenever someone comes to know Christ, it's a demonstration of the power of God. We, we have one of the, the most powerful drama ministries at our church. I mean, it's by far the most powerful drama ministry in the world. And you have it as well. It's called baptism and communion. And we don't do skits and clowns, but we do do baptism and communion. And when I ask friends that come to Sojourn that aren't Christians, hey, what do you love about the service? You know, you keep coming back, but you're giving Jesus the stiff arm. What do, you, what do you love about this church? And I'm always like inwardly hoping that they're gonna say it's your sermon, but they never say that. What they say is we love baptism and communion. And that's fascinating to me because those are two things that, that they're not invited to participate in because they're expressions of an inward reality of trusting in Jesus Christ. But they say, it's so clear that you're taking communion out of conviction. I mean, you really believe this. And, it, and we always weep when we see and hear these testimonies and see baptism. They're, they're powerful symbols. When Bob became a Christian, it was a moment of movement in our church where it was like God started just blessing new life and we just started seeing more and more conversions. And I can remember the Sunday vividly because it was like overflow room. And so I was in another room and I was, I was watching the baptism service and Bob was the first guy to be baptized. And so we have everyone stand on stage and people read their testimonies. And so when Bob's testimony was read, it was really powerful. But then next to Bob was a grad student from UofL in the music program. And she suffered from all kinds of like anxiety disorders that just debilitated her. And she was traveling, she was in Georgia. We're in Louisville, Kentucky. She was in Georgia and a bank teller just shared his faith with her. And she came back to Louisville and joined with Sojourn. She was going public with her faith. And then, and next to her was this druggy fish head, you know, kind of dreadlocks that he was kind of touring through town, mixed it up with a sojourner, came to know Christ, and he's going public with his faith. And everyone's just, and then the final one was a woman out of the sex industry, was sharing with us through her testimony that it was just fear that drove her to Christ. She was so fearful for her son. She, her son was growing up, and she just knew this was going to end in death. And what was wonderful is they just, there was so much darkness that they shared and yet at the same time, so much joy. You know, just like real drama. All these smiles and I was just like, we couldn't orchestrate better drama. God's at work. 
And when you see people rich and poor, black and white, Republican and Democrat, all mixing it up, it's either drugs or Jesus. And in the church, it's Jesus, amen? So here's what I want, here's what I want you to ask yourself. Who am I? Who am I? Jesus says, you are the light of the world. People don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You are sent by Jesus. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Don't freak out. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. And you are witnesses. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You are ambassadors. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The gospel makes us witnesses. And our witnesses, witnessing is all about the gospel. So here's what, what we need to ask next. Where are you? I mean, if that's who you are, where are you? And here's the deal. We can be ashamed. We can be afraid. We can be apathetic. Like, I don't care. Where are you? Or we can be unashamed. Here's what I want to encourage you. Bring that before the Lord. Some of you, just straight up right now, you're just being selfish. It's like, man, it's about my family. My, you know, we don't, I don't have time for that. I'm overwhelmed. And I, I just want to encourage you. You know, your kids say mine. Anyone have that? Anyone hear that from your kids? Like mine, it's mine. Mine. It's like their first words, right? Can you handle it? Like when they say it, are you like, you're out, you're done. Out on the street. I'm sending you your grandparents. No, like you can handle it. Jesus says, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, your spoiled children, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give, give good gifts, give the spirit to those who ask? God can handle your selfishness. He can handle you being ashamed, afraid, apathetic. But there's, there's, no, there's no need to play games. Come before the father. See, see, some of us believe that we've disqualified ourselves from witnessing. You're like, man, I really want to share my faith with my, with my family, but like, you don't know what I did one Thanksgiving. I mean, it got really bad. And I just, I, I can never witness again. Some of you are like, man, I wish I could share my faith at work, but like one day we went out for a happy hour after and I got wasted and I had just told them I was a Christian. Some of you are like, well, I wish I could share my faith with, with university students, but I, I crossed the line relationally. I got involved in a sexual relationship and I, I, it's, it's just over. Since when? Since when does his commission to, to go, you know, the, the, the fact that we are witnesses, since when is it rooted in, you know, our good deeds? I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, we're not qualified to witness because of how we've lived. We're qualified to witness because of how he lived. He lived a life of perfect obedience in our stead. And, and every day we're qualified to share. I mean, people, people aren't drawn to how good our lives are. Okay, I mean, they can be. I mean, show your good deeds, people see it. But people are drawn to our weaknesses. We don't need to play games. Hey, you know what? I, I'm really struggling with blowing up at my kids and getting angry. Hey, I'm really struggling with greed, but I'm, I'm learning from Jesus how to handle stuff and not make a God out of it. I don't know, I'm drawn to that. Versus like, I figured it out, onward Christian soldiers. You know what I'm saying? And here's the thing, some of you, you know you're a mess. You know you're dysfunctional. But here, here's what I want to appeal to you and plead with you. People don't. People don't. You're like, yeah, we're a mess. I'm a mess. 
I really struggle. But people don't. They look at your lives. They gather with us on Sunday, and they say, man, I don't have it together like these people. What's the answer? Tell your story. Share your struggles. You know, be, be authentic. You know, not for authenticity's sake, because we can because of what God has done. Let me give you two, two days in my life. Two days in the life of just an ordinary pastor. Day one, I wake up and the hills are alive. You know those days you wake up like before the alarm clock goes off and you're just like, I'm ready to go. I get up, I get dressed, plenty of time to, to fix breakfast for my kids, my wife. So much time that I actually am like, hey, I'll take the kids to school this morning. So I'm taking the kids to school. My wife texts me. She goes, you're my babe. I'm like, I know it. So I, I get the kids to school, get to work, have plenty of time to pray, journal, read the scripture. So much time that I actually like preview my day by laying before the Lord kind of like events and people that I'm going to interact throughout the day. I go into my first meeting. I just feel empowered, right? We have this like 17 item agenda for the day and we just start busting it out, the pastoral staff, one by one by one. Get done. Day ends. I'm like, let's go to lunch. We go to lunch and we're at a local restaurant and the waitress comes up to us and she goes, are you guys pastors at Sojourn? And we're like, yeah. She's like, can I come? I'm like, whoa. We give her our Sojourn invite card with a map. She comes back with her manager, and her manager says, can I come too? And we're like, touchdown for Jesus. It's, it's just one of those days, you know? Like, I, I go home, I open the door, my four kids come running to me, daddy, daddy, daddy. I pick them up and swing them around. My wife fixes an amazing meal. After the meal, we watch a movie as a family. The, the movie ends, and my, my middle child goes, hey, can I, can I pray for us as a family? I'm like, yeah. He prays. And all my kids go skipping off to bed. I go to sleep and I'm just like, God bless everyone everywhere. Amen. <laughs> Day two. I wake up late. The alarm doesn't go off. I wake up and I'm like, why didn't the alarm go off? Man, he's like, what am I, your secretary? I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, and I'm late. And so I, I rush out. I don't have time to eat. I jump in my car. My wife texts me, hey, thanks for saying goodbye. I'm like, whatever. I get to work. I get to work. No time for scriptures. No time for prayer. I go into my first meeting of the day. And, and the pastoral staff, like, they just start, like, barking at me. They're like, we should be doing this. And I'm like, whatever. And I decide just to end the me meeting early, right? I'm just like, D -d enough of this day, right? So I go and I try to get lost in email. And I get those emails from people. And they're like, the music's too loud. And you're preaching. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to show this person. I'm going to sanctify them. And so I write like a five-page email in response. And right before I'm about to send it, I'm like, I'll probably get fired. And so I delete it. So it's one of those days, and I'm like, maybe I just need to just work out, you know? And so I go for a run, and I listen to my favorite preacher. It's John Piper, and I'm listening to him, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I am a horrible preacher. And I, I go home, I haven't eaten anything all day. My four kids come running like little demons. Daddy, daddy, daddy. I'm like, get back, I need to eat, right? And so I eat, but I haven't eaten all day. And so it puts me in a food coma and I'm laying on the couch, just, just trying to like relax a little. And my middle child decides to use me as a human trampoline. I'm like, enough, go to bed. And they're like, it's five o'clock. I'm like, I don't care, go to bed now. Of course, my wife, she's like, Daniel, calm down. I'm like, don't tell me to calm down. A few hours later, you know what happens. The shame sets in. I've failed today as a Christian. I failed as a pastor. I've just failed as a worker and a husband and a father. Lord, help me to do better tomorrow. The question I, I want to ask is, on what day 
Am I more loved and accepted by God? On what day am I more qualified to be a part of the grand mission of God? Here's the deal, church. We're just as accepted and qualified on our good days as we are bad days. If righteousness, witnessing, was a matter of keeping the law, then why did God send his only son? He could have just given us some techniques and some strategies. But Christ came to be crucified, not just for our sinful lives, but our entire lives, for, for every aspect of our lives. Let's rest in that truth.